what needs to change? What, what could we grow in? Obviously, to know what to change, there, there has to be some kind of evaluation, right, where we can um, figure out what are the right things to change, what are the right things to leave the same. If we're going to change, how is that actually going to take place this year, unlike maybe last year, where you identified a change, but things never changed? We're going to use the month of January to talk about the church, and we're going to use this time in January to evaluate and think what needs to change, what needs to stay the same, and what needs to change. Now, speaking of change, uh, I'm going to throw on this sweater right here, and some of you will understand why I'm doing this. Some of you will have no clue, and if you don't understand what's happening right now, you can ask your parents to go to a thing called YouTube. And you could watch a little something that you could see what's happening right now. I grew up in a time when we had about four channels to choose from. And right after Sesame Street was this show called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I didn't realize at the time, but there was a lot of really profound truth being given to me on TV. And um, it was this or Sesame Street, and then a distant third. Some of you may remember The Electric Company. That one in my book was like way down there, but Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers were, were right up there. January does something else for us. A lot of times near the end of the year, they have uh, in you know, memory of kinds of lists, and they flash faces of people who have passed away this last year. And so January is also a time, end of the year, transition in the year, to think back on the fact that our time on this planet is short. The Bible teaches us this. Make the most of your time. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. That makes, the, that makes what we're doing right now, discussing church, discussing what we're doing here, like what are we doing here literally this morning as a church, uh, all the more urgent and pressing for us. Everyone within the sound of my voice right now, and everyone not within the sound of my voice, has a limited time on this earth. We have no idea what's going to happen. Anyone have some surprise deaths happen in their circle of knowledge this last year? I did. I had a couple of surprise deaths. And in my mind, I thought something that's an utter, utterly ridiculous on a logical sense, but an emotional sense, it makes a lot of sense. I thought, wow, I had no idea they, they were going to die. Of course not. None of us know exactly when. We all think we have more time. So this mission and clarity on what we're doing as a church is powerful. We have people in our neighborhood. We have people in our lives. We ourselves are in grave danger if we're not in the covering, if we're not in Christ. And that's a powerful, compelling motive for us to be here. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, which is where we're going to be this morning. I'll get to it in a bit. I haven't forgotten. Uh, but while you're turning to Ephesians 4, if you're taking notes, you could jot down Hebrews 10, 24. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is a really potent verse um, to memorize and to think about. It says this, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see this view towards the end coming? We've already been singing about it. It was in the video. We're going to do this until the Lord returns, which could be at any moment. We're going to do this until we have our last breath, which could be at any moment. So this passage says, let us consider 
how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us think about, let us reflect, let us think deeply about these things. So this morning is uh, first Sunday of the month, so we keep all the kiddos in with us. I'm going to have some time in a bit where we're going to be sort of in a discussion. Here's what often happens on the first Sunday of the month. Kids, look at me for a minute. You guys are incredible. When I ask a question and I ask for feedback, you guys are the ones in our church who lead the way. Your hands go right up. You immediately want to participate. You immediately think you have something to say, which is important, because you do. You guys can teach the adults. You know what happens to adults sometimes? Adults sometimes think, I think I have something to say, but maybe it's sort of a dumb comment, so I won't say it. I think I want to contribute, but maybe people will think weird things about me. Or maybe they're just not paying attention, all right? I'm not sure what's happening. But here's what I want. In a moment when I ask for feedback, I want the kids and the adults to participate. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think carefully about what the question is. So don't just say the first thing that pops in your mind. Consider it. Think about it a little bit. Greg, can we get the house lights in, uh, on, in, just on? It would be good. Just stop there. So church is God's idea. We start there. In fact, we did a whole series a few years ago called Church is God's Idea. And we went through some of these topics, but how do we discover what God's mind is for the church? Let me give you a few, a few ideas that I came up with. Number one is this. There are very specific verses in the Bible that directly say this is how to do church. Whether it's church government, how do we organize ourselves, whether it's things for worship, whether it's what, what do you do when you gather, what should you not do when you gather, those kind of things. There are very specific verses on it. Secondly, there are hundreds of one another's. I, 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 actually, actually, there's uh, maybe not hundreds, but I think about 150, 160 one another's in the Bible. When you read one another, that's how we treat one another. It's how we come together. That's how we relate to one another. So that's another way to sort of figure out what God wants for the church. We've been hearing a lot in Luke about this kingdom of God, right? Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God. When you see kingdom of God language, think in your mind this. It's not identical to the church. Those are different things. But kingdom of God language gives us sort of the culture and concerns that are on the mind of God. So there's a certain like ethos that comes from hearing the kingdom of God. What is it like? And then we can apply that to the church. Remember we talked about the fact that that the kingdom of God is like a seed or it's like yeast? Much of the church's glory is tiny and it's veiled and it's not seen until years and years and years later if you keep at it. So it's those kinds of things that we can glean from that. And probably my favorite are this. There are metaphors in the New Testament that describe what the church is like. The church is like... And we're going to kind of walk through some of these. God loves to teach us by everyday objects, by relationships we already have with human beings so we can apply those principles to other things. He teaches us by the organizations that we're involved in. And he even teaches us by living organisms that we interact with as human beings. You know, last Sunday, the Carlsons missed church. And I say we missed church for two things. One, we didn't attend here, but secondly, we missed church, as in we felt the absence of not being here. My 15-year-old daughter and I were talking, and she came up to me unprompted and just said, man, I really miss being at church. We missed one Sunday. Hit pause for a second. This is a huge answer to prayer. This is a huge thing. For a pastor and his family, 
to miss being with, at, at church is a great and glorious thing. Do you know that many, many pastors take this Sunday morning as a big, heavy, burdened job? And they go, oh, if I could just get a break from these people, right? If I could just get a break from doing this. It feels like duty. It feels like routine. That is not going up. So we paid attention to that. We noticed that. It actually led us to praise God for that. We missed being with our church family, but we didn't miss the opportunity to worship. So what we did was we had a church service on the go. We were driving from El Dorado Hills over to Grass Valley, which was about an hour drive or so, and we're driving through the beautiful rolling hills. It's a crisp, cool December morning. We're going to go celebrate with my mom and stepdad for Christmas. So while we're going, we had a soundtrack of Christmas music. That was our worship music for the morning. And then we we hit pause on the music, and here was the topic. I should quiz my kids, see if they remember it. But here was our topic. Our topic was this, that the label Christian doesn't make you a Christian. That Jesus is going to say one day that that people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these different things. And what's Jesus say? I never knew you. You can wear the name Christian, but if there's no fruit, if there's no action, if there's no knowledge of Jesus, it means nothing. It's literally like putting on a sweater, a name, but having nothing else to it. So that was our topic as we went. It was a short sermon. We didn't give a long, big thing to it. I was multitasking. I was driving. And here's what happened on the way. We're driving, and I had to pull over because an ambulance was was behind me and came racing by. And so right in the middle of our church service, I've never had this happen in a church service that's in a building, I had one of our congregants say, why do we pull over for the ambulance? So we hit pause on what we were talking about for the church service, and we discussed why we as citizens pull over to make room for that person to get to the person quickly. And then we had a little impromptu prayer for the workers in the ambulance and for whoever they're going to go help. And then we just resumed our church service. And it dawned on me, this is Jesus' favorite way of teaching. You read the Gospels, we see him teach in the synagogues, we see him teach like the Sermon on the Mount where there's a big crowd, there's sort of a formal teaching. But most of the Gospels, in fact, this whole section we're in in Luke right now, is him traveling and wandering down to Jerusalem. And so he's doing on-the-go type teaching. So an ambulance goes by, a question pops up, and we address it. This is the way Jesus teaches. And this is where, if we're paying attention, if we're just noticing, if we're just not missing opportunities to worship, not just on Sunday morning, but all around us are these great moments to stop and pray Stop and participate. Stop and see. Think about Jesus, the temple he teaches at. He talks about taxes. He talks about fishing and then turns it into evangelism. He talks about barren trees. He just goes about and he teaches using the objective world. So if we stop and reflect, if we ponder and contemplate and just slow our mind down enough about what has happened, what will happen, and think deeply on the things of God... There are some incredible things that comparisons of everyday life teach us about God and how to function as a church. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to throw up some of these biblical metaphors, and you're going to come up with what they teach us about church. Now, can we just release the burden of feeling like you need to quote chapter and verse of where you get your idea? Okay? You don't need that at all. In fact, if you know it, don't say it. 
Just say the truth, and we'll just hear Scripture read without even really knowing it, okay? That way it won't be like some class of people, wow, they always give a Scripture verse when they talk, and I don't. So let's just release each other of the burden of that. If you say something way off base, I'll just correct it. We'll do it in a gracious way. Can we do that? We good? Okay. As we bring up these metaphors, think about these thoughts. What is, what is God teaching us by this metaphor? And let me give you a couple of categories to get us started, okay? What is, what is this metaphor that we're about to look at teach us about our mission, like what we're supposed to be doing? What does this metaphor teach us about our identity? Can we agree that being and doing are two separate things? What we do flows out of who we are, but those are two separate things. So when Jesus says something about us, when the, when the Bible teaches us this is what the church is like, it's teaching us about our identity in Christ, right? Think about another category. What is this metaphor that we're discussing prohibit us from doing? There are certain things with each of these metaphors that you look at that and say, man, it's forbidden to do that. You do that and you get really off base, okay? Um, so, and then one more. One more category. One more category would be, what can we expect as Christians if God is comparing church to be like this metaphor? All right? We'll get going, and you'll kind of see what I mean. So one of the first ones, and one of my favorite ones, is that the church is family. Ephesians 1 says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God created us and invites us into his family. So what does the church as family teach us about what it means to be a church? Because we all are in a family. So pop hands up and consider deeply and think about it. Jamie. That's right. It involves siblings that were brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Rob. We're unique and in this together. Yep. If, you ever, if any of you here have an identical twin, you can see that. People see you as the same, but man, you're a unique individual. What else? What does family teach us about it? Steve? We have a father. We have a father. Absolutely. Powerful that we as the church get to relate to him as father. Yeah. What else? We have to do chores. We have to do chores. That's right. That's right. All that comes with that. Yeah. Eli. You have to follow our parents. That's right. Everly. Listen to our parents. I love these answers. These are good. That's good stuff. Yeah. You have to learn things. That's right. As kids, you're being brought up. Lucas. Sometimes it's hard to get along with everyone, but we still love each other. That's right. That's right. Sometimes it's hard to get along, but, but we still love each other. How about this? What's forbidden in a family? What destroys a family? Yeah. Satan does. Yeah, there's an enemy working against our family. That's exactly right. Spiritual. Yeah. Sin. I'm in Genesis right now, my reading plan. What happens when Abram tries to help out God by having Sarah's made become his wife to birth a child. Chaos. Sin destroys family. 
Shock of shocks, the relationship deteriorated between Sarai and her, and her maiden, you think? All right, good stuff. All right, let's go on to one more, or there's several more. How about a building? Did you know that God describes the church as a building? Listen to this, 2 Peter 2.5. You yourselves, how trippy is this, are, living, are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So when you think about a building and the church is like a building, what comes to mind for that one? A temple? Yeah. That's right. That's powerful. You can, you can build a building. You can build a temple right under a tree out in the, out in the savannah right now. That's a, it's a moving building. That's really insightful. Huh? It provides shelter. Yeah. The church provides shelter. Think about this. Jesus is the cornerstone. That's right. That's right. The foundation, the, the starting point has been set. Requires sacrifice. Expand on that. Tell me what that means. Well, spiritual sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, and it's following the ways of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. And in, in many ways, it's in partners. Mm-hmm. So it does, there is sacrifice. Yeah. There is, but it should be the love of it. Yeah, right. The love of that sacrifice. Right. And not a sacrifice. Yeah. One of the things we know about a building, a building has function, intentionality to it. In fact, key to this morning is this, that a building has a builder. That's the most obvious statement we could make, but it's really, really profound. There is a design to the church. In fact, if God is perfect and doesn't make mistakes, can't we just simply agree that God's design for the church is perfect? It is perfectly designed for what it's intended to accomplish. We can look at a building and say, wow, that thing is unbelievably designed. And the best human builders don't hold a candle to God. All right, let's move on. The Bible also describes the church like a marriage. Revelation 19.7, we just sang this. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What does it mean that we are the wife? We are the bride of Jesus Christ. We find this in several other passages as well. But the church as marriage. What does that tell us about about our identity, about our mission, about what's forbidden? Eli? We have connection. Yeah, intimacy. Marriage is about growing in oneness and intimacy. What else? Yeah. Loyalty. What's forbidden in marriage? Cheating. Cheating. The opposite of that. Unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness. I mean, that stabs at so many of us right here in this room. Unfaithfulness is what's forbidden for the bride. Church, this is just, that's massive. Saying I do. Jim. That's right. We have only our eyes for our husband, Jesus Christ. 
I stand with brides and grooms, and part of the vow is this, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. That's what we're saying I do to. And relishing that we're delighted in and provided for and trusting in our groom, the Jesus, Jesus Christ. Okay? All right. Man, let's keep going. How about body? The church is described as a body. Everyone wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes. Move your body a little bit, right? This is what the church is. Man, there's so many great metaphors here. The Bible really expands on this one. But here's one passage, Ephesians 5, 23. <coughs> that Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. What does the body teach us about being a church? Eli. Use kind words, okay? Many parts all belong to the same thing. Yeah. Unless you're a psychotic dog biting your own tail, you don't sit there and hurt yourself. Like you belong to each other. Yeah. Different parts do different things, right? Fascinating to sit and think this through and, and think of all the different intricate parts and how they function. Where are the most important parts of your body? On the inside. If your mouth stops, stops working to talk, do you still live? Yeah. How long do you live when your heart stops working? Yeah, not very long. A couple medical people could give us the exact amount. Not very long. So that's kind of telling. The most visible parts of the church, I'm sort of a mouth right now to the church, are not the most important. How about this? You take a hammer, you accidentally hit your finger. Does just your finger cry and mourn and feel frustrated and stop what they're doing? Or does the whole body weep with that finger that's weeping? Man, when you take a first sip of, what do you like? I like coffee. But whatever you're sipping, and you're like, yes, that's just so good. Your whole body rejoices in that. Man, there's so much to learn. All right, let's just go two more really quick. The church is the flock of God. Jesus is the good shepherd. Psalm 103 says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. What does being a flock teach us about being a church? Together. Why? We're his people. What happens if a sheep goes wandering off alone? Uh huh. And what could happen to that sheep? Yeah. Do sheep know how to make eggs and bacon? No, they don't need eggs and bacon. Do sheep know where to find good pasture? Not really. Uh, are sheep really prone to being attacked by a pack of wolves? For sure. Do sheep get lost? Yeah. Huge. You know what's forbidden? of being of the flock of God is going it alone. Of thinking that endless freedom and endless adventure is the way to happiness. Doesn't that sound American? Man, I just want to go it alone. I want to go do endless adventure. All the freedom in the world must mean my heaven. Wrong. The flock of God teaches us that that's not true. What else? Yeah, Luke. We need the shepherd so desperately in so many different ways. What about when the shepherd disciplines sheep? Is he doing it because he's a bad shepherd and he beats the sheep? No. He might take his staff and yank that sheep by the leg because that sheep's about to go into quicksand or over a cliff or somewhere dangerous. Anything else about sheep? 
How do sheep smell, good or bad? It's kind of stinky, right? Like, if you're better on the farm, it's not like perfectly clean smelling, right? Um, so take a whiff. I'm not talking like physical smell, but spiritually, we kind of come in here with our garbage sometimes. Don't be shocked by that. God's setting up expectation. Are sheep on the brainiac side of the animal scale or the not-so-brainiac side of the scale? Say not-so-brainiac. It's way over here. Frankly, sheep are kind of dumb. They like wander around. They follow each other blindly. Um, there's a lot to our identity that's a little bit humbling when it comes to that. Last one. Uh, the church of God is an army. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What does being in the army teach us about a church? We already sang this one too, by the way. Sarah. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Don't go in the army and go, no haircut for me, thank you. Eli, go. You're fighting, you're fighting for a, a, a purpose? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Now, do we use weapons like hurting each other with bullets and stuff? No. What's our weapons? They're, they're spiritual, the sword of the spirit, which is the Bible. Our song is a weapon, a melody of praise. God preparing a table for us, feasting in the presence of our enemy, showing that our trust is in God. Yeah. Did you forget what you're gonna say? Helping each other. That's right. We go in, in groups, right, and we look out for each other. What happens if a soldier, those of you who have been in the military, what happens to a soldier who just looks out for himself or herself? They die. I was, see, I, I was thinking they'd get disciplined. That's the ultimate discipline. They die. Yeah. Is there rigorous training and urgent information that's passed amongst soldiers? Absolutely. So church, thank you for this. Man, these were just, it's, it's good to stop and think and ponder these things and think on, what about us? What about our church? Are we concerned about the right things? Are we slipping into something that's forbidden? These metaphors taken together form this powerful composite picture of what the church is and what the church can be. And frankly, the longer that we ponder these, the more that we savor them. It's like hard candy. The more you savor it, the more you suck on it, so to speak, the more flavor comes. And you, you see this composite picture of what the church can be. Now, there's sort of a, the sky is falling church doom in every era of, of history. Um, I've seen several cycles of this in my own lifetime, particularly as someone who's keenly interested in the church because I serve the church as a pastor. This is a picture from April when Notre Dame caught on fire in Paris, France. And I think it's a somewhat fitting metaphor for how some people view the church. Those within the church can look around and say, everything else is glistening and bright and glamorous and doing just fine. And here we are burning up. People outside the church can look and say, make comparisons and say, look at, look at how that's failing, look at how that's not. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. There is bad news about the church that's put out there all the time. This struck me last night. I was watching one of the playoff games 
And one of the players, because he was the star guy that made things happen, the cameras followed him, and he went over to the middle of the field, and he did this. He went down, and he went like this. Now, what's he doing over there in the middle of the field? He is praying with all the opponents. He was just trying to, they were trying to beat the tar out of each other. Do you know that Christians gather on the field of an NFL football game after every single game for prayer? I forgot that. You know why? The TV doesn't show it. Ever. Ever. I never see that. They had to track this guy until he got down on his knee. And he's on there for about two seconds before they pull away and cut to something else. That's wild to think about. Forgot why I was telling you that. Oh, bad news. So bad news about the church. It's just everywhere. Um, Barna, who who does a lot of research, uh, this just came out last week in, in World Magazine that a new survey is out that 44% of American Christians say that attending church is not an essential part of their faith. 44%. Let me tell you this. Across America, church attendance is way down. People who predict such things say this, churches are not going to keep getting more and more and more massive. What they think is going to happen is massive churches are going to break into smaller congregations with multiple services or multiple sites because the whole giant massive thing um, seems to be kind of going away. When I read this stat that 44% of American Christians who name the name Christ, 44%, almost half, Say that what you're doing right here is not an essential part of their faith. And I think back to that Hebrews passage that we just read. Do not, do not, do not, hear me, this is forbidden. Do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of 44% of American Christians, as is the habit of some. Man, you nailed it. Sheep that go wandering off alone get picked off. Little coals that fall out of the fire get cool and burn out. People say this, I, experiencing, I experience God when I go hiking. I experience God in nature when I go surfing. I experience God by serving the poor. I experience God alone by reading. You know what I say? Great. I experience God in all of those ways. But you know what? Not one of those is commanded by God to do every week. Meeting together as Christians, I would say the starting point is at least once a week. We're going to get to this more in the month. But one of the most radical verses in all the New Testament is that the early church met day by day as in every day, to break bread, to pray, to encourage one another. Every day. So the starting point, I would say, of giving finances is 10%. That's a great starting point. Don't let that be a ceiling. The starting point for this, for meeting together, is one day a week. That's great. That's a starting point. Don't let it be a ceiling. Man, we need each other to come together. That's just the first bad news. I've got tons more. Let me quickly say a couple things. Both both Catholic and Protestant churches face massive scandals of horrific abuse. That should get bad press. 
That should be exposed. How about just bringing it down home closer? Many people switch churches or leave church altogether because they quite simply cannot get along. Now, before you despair, before you sink into hopelessness, let me tell you this. We are not beyond hope. All is not lost. In fact, what I just read is biblical. How's it biblical? When you read the Bible, not everything in the Bible is prescriptive. Prescriptive is be like this, do this. Much of the Bible is not prescriptive, but descriptive. It is describing, here's what happened. I'm in Genesis. We're doing a lot of descriptive stuff. Don't do what they're doing. These things are recorded, so you don't do them, in fact. Sometime during this month, if you haven't started a reading plan or you don't have some devotional, set yourself down in the book of 1 Corinthians with this lens. This is one screwy church. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is him trying to untangle the utter mess of a church that has gone on in this city. Corinth was a key city of influence, much like the Silicon Valley. Christians there were destroying their witness because of immorality and disunity. The immorality that was amongst the church people at Corinth was so bad that the pagans of the city were looking at the Christians and going, ew, that's gross. That's pretty bad. Do you know that when the Corinthians would come together for communion, they were pushing and shoving to get in front of others and getting drunk? Paul wrote this letter and had so much to untangle. I read it, and anytime I'm discouraged about our church, I go, we're not doing that bad. We're not Corinthian churches. Man, those guys were a mess. But here's what Paul did. He didn't just despair and give up. What did he do? In your notes is the key idea. You can circle it if you want to write something, but I just wrote it down so you're sure to get it. It's this. There is a perfect design for the church. And always, hear me, always there's flawed execution. Every time that sinners saved by grace pursue the perfect design of church, we get it wrong. In ways great and in ways really small. So perfect design, flawed execution. Here's the action item. Do not give up when you see flawed execution. Don't grow hopeless. Don't grow in despair. Let it lead you back to the perfect design. What does Paul do when he writes to the first Corinthians? You guys are hopeless. We're done here. Shut the doors. No. Perfect design, flawed execution. We're going to go back to the perfect design. We're going to lean into God's perfect design, and we're going to keep going. We're going to be faithful as a church to keep going. We're going to resist two things in this series. Some of you like to gloss over things. You don't like to talk about difficult things and pain. And so we can kind of like fall into idealistic platitudes, and they really don't help. We can just have some disunity going on and go, well, you know, God works out all things together for good. And we just kind of throw these things out without really pondering them and thinking about them. And then like a cancer, those little things kind of sit in there and gnaw at you. And one day you're like ready to chuck your faith. You don't know why. We are going to resist the urge to gloss over. But we're also going to resist the urge 
to give up. Some of you are cynical, skeptical, and hopeless in nature. Your bonus middle name is Eeyore. Like you just, that's just who you are. Like I can't even help it. That's just how I see the world. And so there's a sense that when we start pulling this apart and looking at it, you're like, oh, and you just want to give up. Let me promise you something. You leave our church, you're going to find the same problem you're running from here in a different place. I promise you that. If you're new here, welcome. We have the same problems that your previous church had. Maybe not in the same measure. The faces look different, but you stay with us long enough, we're going to smell like sheep. We're going to do some really dumb things. There's going to be flawed execution. We are not giving up as a church. We're going to do what we're doing in this January series. We're going to look back at the perfect design and get back on board with what we're supposed to be doing. All right, let me give you sort of an overview of this series title and why we're calling it this. Man, time is flying this morning. A beautiful day for our neighborhood. A beautiful day means this, that each and every day is an opportunity. God's mercies are new every single morning. When you wake up and you open your eyes and you have air in your lungs, that means you have a new day to accomplish things for God. A new day to celebrate being with God, delighting in God and being delighted in by God each and every single day. When, the, when it says for our neighborhood, every time you see neighborhood on our, on our church sign, on our website, or you think about or you say to your friend, I go to neighborhood Bible church. When you hear the word neighborhood, remember that we exist to bring glory to God by bringing beauty and goodness to our neighborhood. Now, there's other things that we do, but think about when God calls a people to himself, Abram. He says, I'm going to bless you. Why? So you'll be a blessing to the surrounding neighborhood, the surrounding nations. The church was created in that same vein that we are blessed to be a blessing to the neighborhood. You know, the picture on this neighborhood mimics the way that the opening of the Mr. Rogers show uh, came about. There was sort of a blur, but I think it actually preaches a little bit. The picture of the neighborhood is blurry because right now we see in part. We don't see things clearly. We don't see things perfectly. And frankly, the more we move out from the center, which in the flesh is us, but from us just emanating from our church, the further we, 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 sort of, we, we move from that, the more blurry it becomes sometimes. So we put that picture just to say, here's a, here's a look at what is. God, give us vision. God, give us renewed clarity for what that looks like because I'm having a hard time making that out. I can't quite read what's happening. I want you to think about Mr. Rogers for a moment. There's a movie out right now. Tom Hanks uh, plays Mr. Rogers. And, it, and it, I knew I was going to title this series a while ago, knowing this movie was coming out. I went and watched the movie, and it brought to mind some different things. But here's one thing. Mr. Rogers was an adult serving the needs of children. And I thought, this is a profound picture of the church. The older are to serve the younger. Mr. Rogers never said, you know what, I'm bored with this show. I'm not entertained by Daniel the puppet anymore. Mr. Rogers took everything in his power. Here's who he was. And he, he, he used it as the, as the older, to adjust the needs to serve those who were newer. In fact, he addressed what I would call happy and hard topics. 
He didn't shy away from either one. He addressed happy and hard topics, and he used what he had. What did he have? Well, he was really gifted musically. All the music in Mr. Rogers' show, he wrote that. Every song, he wrote those. He was a music major. He used puppets because he could do voices. He went on field trips, and he showed the kids in viewer land like what he was doing. He used imagination. Mr. Rogers in real life was a slow talker. I'm not a slow talker. He was a slow talker. And his ideas and communication style gave you space to ponder and think about what he was saying. I'd say this, that Mr. Rogers got in his lane and was the best Mr. Rogers he could be. And in spite of ridicule, in spite of nominal success, I mean, KQED Channel 9, that's not like the pinnacle of the TV land. In spite of all these different things, one of the powers of Mr. Rogers is his legacy. He's dead now. He was a Christian minister before starting the show. And his power of his legacy is all these years later, they're making a movie about his life. And I just went on iTunes. You could buy whole seasons of his show still. Um, lastly, this. He was known for some common phrases, which, are, which we're going to call Mr. Rogerisms. And Mr. Rogerisms are going to be things we're going to take uh, the wisdom from his neighborhood and sort of apply it to our neighborhood. So we're going to get to one of those in just a minute. Let me give you a definition for the local church that we really like. It's lifted from uh, Acts chapter 2, and it's also lifted from a book called Vintage Church. I'll just read it. A local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. That's a really powerful definition. That packs actually a ton of scriptural uh, loose ends into that. Now, let me simplify something. One of the things that Neighborhood Bible Church stands for is saying, don't just make something truthful for me. Make it helpful. You will never memorize this, this definition. Some of you are like, already got it. I've got a perfect memory. Bully for you. The rest of us won't. Let me simplify this, okay? Here's a really simple definition. A community of missionaries. If you want to boil the church down, we're a community of missionaries. And those words are loaded with all these descriptors that kind of, that kind of go on. We gather to worship. We gather to rewarm ourselves every single week without fail. Uh, and we gather to train. And then we scatter to worship, to love, and proclaim Jesus Christ by word and deed. So we are, as a church, we are a community of missionaries. Ephesians 4, I told you I would get there. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 1, and follow along. I'll read the first seven verses. Listen to this description of how we are to function as a church, okay? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the... To maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, 
Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, here's what's really powerful. We could read this on a Sunday morning on the way to church. We show up at church, and in a very short period of time, I walk up, I see my buddy Ron, and Ron snubs me. He doesn't say hi like I wanted to be greeted. Then I go over to my favorite seat, and not only is it taken, it's taken by someone I don't recognize. How weird is that? What are weird people doing in my church? Then we start the song, and it's the song that I like the least. We always do this song. The man always butchers the bridge. I hate this song. And then the preacher gets up. We won't even start with the preacher. We have the ideal, the perfect design, and very quickly we're confronted with reality. Not so dreamy all the time. And so we're tempted to do all kinds of different things with that. When we compare the biblical ideal to the actual reality, it looks like these pictures of grapes on the side. Look at the screen for a second. Do you see those grapes up top? That's the perfect design. One more metaphor we didn't get to is that we're the branches and Jesus is the vine. That's the perfect design. And yet what we see on the bottom part of that is sort of this mushy, like we can't quite make up. Did someone spill red paint? Is that artistic painting? Like What is that? The scripture that's on the side is 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see things imperfectly. If you see things imperfectly, how are you going to execute things? Imperfectly. Perfect design, flawed execution. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity, and then, and that I know. Um, All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Do you know that some leave the church because it's full of hypocrites, it's full of imperfect people, it's full of needy people? You, church, stay. Build the church. Get in the church. Do you know how hypocritical, imperfect, and needy people grow up? In a family, in the building of God, under the watchful, caring, instructive eyes of the Good Shepherd. That's what the church is. People who are regenerated by the saving blood of Jesus and are now transformed into new creations. Let me get to um, our first Mr. Rogerism, okay, of the week. We're going to have one each week. Where'd my water go? Band, I'm going to get you up here. Hang tight. Mr. Rogers was invited to be on David Letterman's show. And David looks a little different than he does now. This was a while ago. And the entire clip, you can watch it on YouTube sometime, the entire clip is seven minutes long, okay? For the first minute and a half of seven minutes of national TV that he got... David Letterman shows this clip of him struggling to put this thing together, which you'll see in a second. I'm going to show you just the last few seconds of it, but what I want you to think about is the humility 
that it would require, I'm sure he had to give his permission to be introduced this way. Watch this clip. Let me try it once more. Please welcome Fred Rogers. So, fast forwarding into the clip, they're discussing what he just did. And, and this is going to be our first Mr. Rogerism. I love what he says. Listen carefully to this. Yes. Uh, now, that sort of thing, I, I was surprised to see that you, uh, that ever happens. Much of that go on behind the scenes on your show? Goof-ups? Uh, sometimes things don't go right in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get that thing up. Uh -huh. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Um, you can see that someday. Uh, but often things, or not often, but occasionally things get a little goofy. Yeah. Yes, in that. All right, bring the house lights up. Write this down. Sometimes things don't go right in the neighborhood. For us, we could say sometimes things don't go right here at neighborhood, Bible church, right? Man, that's so profound. And here's one of the things he wanted to teach. He wanted to teach children that adults make plans, and they, their plans don't always come together, and they get frustrated. Last night, I was trying to get this zipper together. It's a double zipper. I'm not sure why, but I was trying to get it together, and I couldn't zip the, the, the silly thing. And Becky goes, well, see, this is proving the point. Like, things don't go perfect. And that really is the lesson for us, church. One of the lessons is this, that we set the expectation that things don't go, always go right in the neighborhood. So let's lay down pretense. Let's lay down a show. Let's not be an American Idol church where we have performers up here and you're all sort of the judges going, eh, that was okay, about seven and a half, right? The mask that says, I've got this, when you take the I've got this mask and you set it down, it's really risky. I'll acknowledge that. It's also the place where healing begins. That's the place where we begin to grow and function the way that a church is supposed to. What a lesson. Um, all right, I am going to get to something really quickly because it's in your notes. So we'll skip some of these other things, save it for another time. Let me just get to the next step things. At the bottom of your notes are three options. And during his show, he would send this trolley off to make-believe land, and then it would come back. And what I thought about was this. You know, we're going to move from sort of the theoretical. It's not make-believe, but it might as well be make-believe until we act on it. We're going to go from make-believe to make-believers. How do we take what we learn about and discuss in here and bring it to our actual neighborhood. I've got three levels for you, okay? We're going to use sort of a you're at the beach metaphor, and some of you coming up to the ocean and dipping your toe in that foam, kind of when it comes up, that's where you're at. Praise God. Praise God that you're here. The toe dip for you, okay, the next step for you might be this. Just make weekly worship service attendance about God and about commitment, let me give you some alternatives. 
The alternative is that it's about you. If this church service is about me, I'm going to come, and when Ron slights me or I perceive Ron slights me, you ask how church was, I go, bummer, it was a bad Sunday. Why? Because I'm making church about me. If I make... If I make my church attendance about convenience, do you know how often I show up on a Sunday morning? Maybe two out of four. It's not always convenient to come to church. You make it about commitment. You say, I am committed to growing in God. I have some faces I'm looking at in this service that have made showing up at church every Sunday without fail in the last couple of months profoundly powerful. You know why? Here's one thing that happens. When you don't show up, I notice. Other people notice. Why? Because you're always here. When you're missing, I reach out. I say, hey, I've missed you. How are things? Hey, thanks for reaching out. I had surgery. That was a true story. Oh, man, great to know. Do you know why I could pray for that person on the phone? Do you know why I can give him a hug? Do you know why I could reach out? Because he's missing. Because he shows up every week without fail. People will come two out of four Sundays, they don't get reached out to for much longer, because I might just think it's on sort of a cycle. Make it a commitment to be here at weekly worship. Some of you already have that down. Don't underestimate the power of it. Here's the second one. Treading water. Some of you have been toe dipping and playing in the surf for as long as you can remember. The waves get big, you kind of run back to the shore and eat some chips. Then you go back out, you're pretty brave, things are, but your feet are always, always, always on the ground. Why? Because you never learned to swim. It freaks you out to be out of control. It freaks you out to be out in a current. Here's the treading water step, okay? It's really simple. Risk relationship. You say, I'm already in a community group. Yeah, but you're standing. Maybe for you, it's not join a community group. It's, all right, Lord, take me out to where my feet cannot stand. I want to trust in you. I'm going to tread water. I still know I've got someone nearby. Go with a buddy. Always be with people. That can be right there. They can say it's okay. But risk relationships. Some of you need to step into membership and say, I have been dating this church for a long time. It's time to define the relationship, and I'm going to get in and build up this church in all that that means. Here's the last one. Ben, come on up. The last step is the scuba. What does scuba stand for, Ron? Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. You never dive alone. So for those of you who've been treading water, body surfing, you're super comfortable with that. Scuba is going a deep dive. Here's what I'd say to that. Risk becoming a devoted helper to this neighborhood. One of the ways you can do that is we together as a church are able to be in parts of our neighborhood, for instance, foster care, that's very difficult to be in by ourselves. So maybe you being a serious devoted helper to this neighborhood means starting a ministry from within this church. In our midst is someone, Aaron, uh, who recently took his passion and he began to lead other people into it and said, we're going to go do this thing together. Some of you are brainiac study types. Go and study more and say, why aren't we doing this? And then be part of the solution. Pastor, I don't want to just come and hit you with a bunch of things we're not doing as a church where we could grow as a church. I want to be part of the solution. What if we did this? I've got energy to pour into this. I could raise up a team to do this. Toe dip, tread water, go scuba diving. Let me pray. 
God, thank you so much for this church. I thank you, God, just for the overwhelming joy that it is for me to be here on a Sunday morning with these people. God, I pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people. God, I pray that our weekend worship would just be a telltale sign of how our daily worship has been leading up to this point. I thank you, God, that by design, your church builds itself up in love. We don't look to outside experts or to books or to slick programs or to the church leadership to do it for us. You, Holy Spirit, reside in us. You, Holy Spirit, are the teacher, the empowerer to accomplish what you would have. God, we commit as your people that we will not give up when there's flawed execution in the church, but we will look back to the perfect design. Amen.